Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the GMI Guitar and Music Institute podcast. My name's Jed Brocky and today I'm going to be talking to Tim Clark, quite an extraordinary individual who is an inventor, a musician and lives in a log cabin in Canada. All will be revealed if you listen to this podcast, an incredibly interesting man with some great ideas and a wonderful invention that guitarists who are looking for a new bespoke way of bending strings will definitely benefit from. This episode, as with all episodes, are supported by videos, images and links found on the GMI website which can be found at www.guitarandmusicinstitute.com. So coming up is my interview with Tim Clark from Canada, the inventor of Pitch Pilot. Tim, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you very much, Jed. I'm very happy to be here. I've talked to people from all around the world, and it's, this is one of the great pleasures of this, but I think I'm pretty safe in saying there's that you are actually in a place that is more dramatic than anyone I have talked to so far. Why don't you tell the listeners exactly where you are right now? Well, I guess I'm about uh, two or three kilometers from Niagara Falls. And if you've ever seen Niagara Falls, you'll never forget it. There is absolutely nothing like it. It's very humbling to stand beside something that gigantic and that beautiful. It's really an amazing. They call it was one of one of the seven wonders of the world, the seven natural wonders of the world. And it's for obvious reasons. It's an absolutely uh stellar thing to see it really puts your own uh, mortality in, in the place i suppose standing next to that absolutely now have you ever fancied going over that in a barrel uh, i have gone over it in a barrel as really a twice now a couple friday wow. nights ago my friends and i got together we emptied the barrel and then we got in it and i went right over are you honestly telling the truth no no you uh-huh. <laughs> It's about a, a that nobody could survive it. It's uh, it's an unbelievable drop, and I guess uh, I don't know how many feet it is, but it, you just it, the amount of water going over, nothing could possibly survive the fall. So they never actually. I always thought there was people extreme sports uh, went over. The, is that not true then? No. There are a few people in the around the turn of the of uh, the eighteenth, the nineteenth, I guess the nineteenth, twentieth century. There were a few daredevils that did it. And I'm not sure if there were any survivors, but I know a lot of people died trying. So, <laughs> Well, yes, best to die trying. Uh, <laughs> not the work of a Friday night, no. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're not here to talk about Niagara, but it is a very interesting thing. But actually, before we start talking uh, about why we're actually speaking, um, you live in a log cabin, don't you? I do. I live in a little log cabin. It looks like uh, it was uh, the home of the Beverly Hillbillies. And I have uh, two things in it, and they're at the most extreme opposite corners. One is the wood stove. I don't have any heat. I have a wood stove, and I have a well, and I have a windmill for some of my electricity. In the winter, I mean, my only heat is that wood stove, so you chop wood all summer. But the other corner has a 1942 Lester grand piano. And, of course, it hates the wood stove, so you have to have them as far apart as possible. So two questions. Uh, is the piano in tune? All the time. I tune it myself. Uh, I play 250 piano gigs a year. Second question. What's this about crapping out by getting a windmill? I mean, come on, man up. <laughs> it powers three light bulbs. <laughs> What's wrong with candles, you know, in a wood, a wood cabin? What could possibly go wrong? That is amazing. So I suppose... 
I'm just I'm just getting drawn into this. I've got this picture. A, why there? Why do you live there? And B, have you ever fought a bear? Uh, no, but I've had a coyote on my front porch, and I've also had a porcupine on my front porch, and that is pretty uh, uh, shocking. They're an amazingly beautiful animal, but you don't really want to be two or three feet from them when they go boing. <laughs> the last and, thing you see, yes. Yes, yes. So, uh, you know, I'm not a long way from uh, civilization, uh, so we don't uh, don't have bears. We see the odd deer and so forth, and it's just out in the middle of the country, and uh, I guess I like it because it's out in the middle of the country. And at night, you can see the stars, and there's a little creek that runs behind the back of the property. And uh, it's cheap, too, uh, relative to living in the city. Things like car insurance and stuff just plummet because they consider you uh, rural, and that's uh, you're in a different category. Do you see people much, Tim, or, or is it a, a, quite a lonely existence out there? Uh, sometimes it's lonely in the winter because uh, you can be feel a little uh, get a case of cabin fever once in a while. But if I leave my place and I go straight up, the, it's, I live on our side road. And if I keep going on the side road, eventually there's a, a pub uh, that I can go to. And they have Wednesday night jam sessions, which are, are lots of fun. So is this part of your 250 gigs a year? Uh, no, actually, the 250 gigs a year, I mostly play piano. I'm a singer. That's kind of my um, main thing. I'm a, I think I'm a pretty good singer. And uh, most of the gigs I, I play are for seniors' residences. I used to play hotels, and obviously, I mean, I played in bars, played every kind of thing. I've been a singer in musicals. You name it, I've kind of done it. But the last few years, I started playing with seniors because they're the greatest audience in the world. Play a Gershwin tune, and they just love you forever. And, and the great thing is, if you have a bad gig, they can't remember. That's right. That's right. I can't remember. <laughs> but I'm sure you never do. Now, actually, this is great the way we're discussing and chatting away here. It's it's uh, yeah. lovely to speak to you because it's in direct opposite, I can't think of the word right now, to what we're actually talking about. And people listening sure. around the world are probably saying, come on then, Jed, what are you talking, you and Tim, talking about? And what we're talking about is Pitch Pilot, which is a device you have invented for guitar. How how do you get to there from being living in a log cabin on your own with a piano? It was a long journey, and I didn't really start off thinking I would ever invent this, but one of my hobbies was combining guitars and bicycles. And I know it sounds kind of silly, but I've got <laughs> I've got a capo that I made out of bicycle parts, uh -huh. and I've got a I had a bike I got stolen. It was a British bike, and it was my uh, guitar bicycle. I had I made the fenders out of Fender guitar straps. What other brand could use a hard wire? And I had Fender guitar straps for the fenders, and my two changing the gear things were guitar tuners, just little things like that. And it was just kind of a hobby. I also made a wah wah pedal using bicycle parts, like all the mechanical parts. Really? Yeah, you should see it. And when I use it on stage, uh, we have we might as well not play the first number because people are laughing so hard. They they can't believe because it's an upside down bicycle seat and a brake handle. That's the foot pedal part. And then it goes, uh, the cable goes to a linear actuator, which I made, which turns the, the cue on a, on a parametric equalizer. Listen, and do you have video or even images of this? I would love to put this I up in the somewhere I, I, might, I might somewhere. I can always put it back to you. I haven't been using it for a, a couple of years. And uh, so I, I got quite interested after I made that a linear actuator. And then I was playing in a country band, and they were called the Pretty Terribles. And um, How good were they? Uh, 
really good, really good. But that was that was the name that somebody picked, and I was just joining, and they wanted me to be the lead guitar player. And I'm a picker uh, and a grinner, and I, I really was interested in in approaching the the idea of being a lead country guitar player. But everybody kept saying you should get a B bender, and so I thought, oh, maybe I'll look into it. So I look into it, and it turns out you got to make a bunch of bad marks on your guitar, namely routing and all this stuff. And I love my guitar the way Mr. Fender made it, and uh, I couldn't change it for the life of me. Um, I'm notorious for keeping my guitars in immaculate condition, and I, I, I loathe to modify anything. I, when I looked into the B-Bender, I kind of realized that it, uh, it wasn't going to work for me, and then I looked at other, other types of B-Benders, and they didn't seem like they were going to uh, do what I wanted. My background was uh, I worked in engineering. I was a technical illustrator, so I had a real background in 3D software and CAD and all that stuff. And I thought maybe I could come up with a, another another kind of B-Bender. Can you just explain to the listeners what B-Bender is, just in case they don't know? Well, uh, the B-Bender, I think, was invented by a guy named Clarence White, who was uh, one of the bandmates in The Birds. And uh, he wanted to get that pedal steel sound that you can you can get by lifting a note, a semitone. And his invention, basically, is um, the B string is pulled by a lever in the back of the guitar, uh, which is connected to a couple other levers. And when they act, when they push down on the guitar with their guitar strap, it raises the B note, I guess, two semitones. And that's how you get that kind of sound. Uh, it's it's pretty ingenious, but like I say, it, it's heavy and it requires mods to the guitar, which I just couldn't bring myself to do. So again, I was pursuing this idea of coming up with another idea. And I spent a couple months in the world of CAD and 3D modeling trying to come up with something. And I had a couple good ideas, but uh, nothing was really breaking through that would be, hey, that's really a revolution. And then I'm not kidding, Jed. One day I was uh, using a binder clip uh, just for the normal binder clip kind of thing. And something about it caught my eye. And I said, wait a minute. It, probably a half hour later, I had it on my Dremel tool, and I punched a couple holes in it, and I took a, a handle from a nail file, put it on one side of the binder clip, and attached the other side to um, the tailpiece of my 1964 Framus. That was the first pitch pilot, and it literally was a binder clip and a nail file handle. It's actually still on the guitar uh, some five years later, almost six years later. It has never failed, uh, always works. That was the very first one. And I, I realized that I sort of stumbled on something that was uh, truly unique. Got the, you know, a couple friends, guitar, fellow players that were really impressed by it. And I thought, you know, maybe this is something I should look into. I started pursuing the idea of getting a patent because I the research said that there was nothing like it out there at all. So did you get a, a worldwide patent on, patent on this, Tim? Yeah, the, I have uh, six different patents on it. The first one that was invented was for the Gibson-style guitars, and it really is a simple U-shaped spring with a handle on it. And there's not much to it. One side of the spring attaches to the tailpiece, then your string attaches to the pitch pilot and goes over your bridge in a conventional way. I didn't think it was going to work. I, I mean, the idea, I thought, well, that is such a cool idea. It's so simple. But it, it, well, I thought that it, the, that it wouldn't stay in tune. But it turns out it stays in tune beautifully. In fact, there's a, a bridge out there that's 
called uh, the Evertune. Their concept in some ways is similar to mine in that they've attached a spring to the end of each string. And what happens, it's very interesting, when the string is plucked, the spring that's attached to it, the, the, tor the torque matches between the string and the spring, right? So what happens on a sort of microscopic level is when the string is plucked, it pulls the spring out, but springs always want to return to neutral. So when uh, the string is, as it's winding down the vibrating, the, the spring is always going to try and bring it back to that initial tension. And that's why that Evertune bridge works, because the spring recenters the, the guitar string every time. So Pitch Pilot also, the tuning stability is actually amazing because of that spring effect. But I guess him and I, the inventor of Ever Evertune and I had a different reason for wanting that spring on. He wanted the guitar to never go out of tune. And I had the idea that this could be the new kind of uh, whammy bar. And in fact, I've got on my Gibson right now, I've got six pitch pilots on, one on each string. And obviously you can't have six handles where well, you, you might be able to. And then I just move the handle to whatever couple strings I want to use it on. Am I not right in thinking, though, Tim, that you, with some of these whammy bars out there, you can bend and all the strings go down already? Well, in fact, that's a completely different effect. Because the, the amazing thing about a B-bender or any of the single string benders is the incredible overtones that you get when one string is changing pitch beside another one that's also ringing. So when you hit a chord, only one string is doing the, you know, yes. and it has an amazing chorus effect. And also, I think the difference in performance, the B bender does one thing. It does it really well. It raises the note to semitones and mine goes up or down, down uh, up to about seven semitones. Depends on how you set it, five to seven semitones. And it also goes up three. If you push it, you can go to six, but you're going to, you know, uh, it seems comfortable to go about three up. So, so it goes three it's seven up to seven down and three up. Is that correct? Yeah. Range of nine to ten semitones. And it always comes back in tune. Always. That's and that honestly, that amazed me maybe more than anyone. I I hadn't thought about the tuning stability. I thought it, this won't stay in tune is what I thought, to tell you the truth. And I was astonished to find out that the string has more tuning stability than strings without it. So it strikes me, Tim, is this really made for a certain type of musical genre? I would say no, because there are there are several things I think it can go for. For example, if you put it on the B string, you can do that country stuff. And actually, I believe that going down is a more effective uh, country voicing than pulling up like a B bender does. And but people could decide that based on our videos on the website. But there's a couple other things. For example, I can do amazing sitar sounds because I can I I can do those little quarter semitones. Just going, nah, 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 all those little tiny bends. It's quite interesting because when I watched the promotional video that was made up by, was it Guitar World? Right. The one thing that really st uh, stuck out was when, towards the end of the video, he was on lower strings and he was just given a, a, just a slight push. Right. So perhaps, and it's difficult for people listening because what you've said is quite technical and, and we're talking about quite a technical thing. But we're maybe not defining this enough in people's imagination. Basically, the pitch pilot 
connects to the bridge at the back of the guitar. We maybe, I maybe should have steered that <laughs> at the beginning of the so conversation. It actually connects to the tailpiece. The tailpiece. It sits between the tailpiece and the bridge and basically intercepts the string, which normally passes over the bridge, goes through the holes on the tailpiece. So the pitch pilot is attached to the hole on the tailpiece and the string now attaches to the pitch pilot. So it's sort of intercepted the string halfway through. I mean, this brings up one of my things about all these fancy gizmos on the on the, the tail end of the, the bridge and that. How easy is it to change in a performance situation if a string is broken? It is. Uh, it might add 10 seconds if okay. it does. I don't even think it adds that. It doesn't really make any difference because you can still thread your string through just the same. You might have to be a little more careful than you would be because you don't want to score your string or anything uh, that could have an adverse effect. But being reasonably careful, I think you might add 10 seconds to it, but it adds really no, when you're doing a string wholesale string change, it, it doesn't slow you down at all. And the pitch pilot is physically, how is it physically connected? Uh, there's a, an Allen screw that goes through the tailpiece and connects to one side of the spring. And then the spring uh, is sort of a U-shape and on the other side is where the string connects. So then that passes over the bridge. One of the things uh, we do include an, adapt, an adapter in it because Gibbs, the Gibson holes on the tailpiece are larger than most other guitars. So there is an adapter to, uh, to adapt to do. Any uh, a guitar that has that Gibson style tailpiece bridge setup, I think they call it a tunematic setup. And that's, uh, it fits any guitar that has that. Now, if you've bought patents, worldwide patents, on six yeah. different aspects yeah. of this uh, product, um, right. you've either got deep pockets or empty pockets. That must have cost a fortune. Well, I tell you, I, it, it didn't cost that much because uh, I've got a great lawyer. In fact, I'm, I'm, my lawyer is actually the oldest uh, patent attorney in, in Canada, uh, and they've just been wonderful. Uh, but because I was a technical illustrator, I was able to do my own drawings. And if anyone's ever applied for a patent, they'll tell you it's the lawyering costs can be fairly minimal. It's the costs of getting illustrations done. So that's what I used to do for a living. So that's I would estimate that I probably if I'd been doing those drawings for someone else, I probably could have built about $70,000. Well, you know, you learn something every day. That's why I love these. I never knew that about patents. That's incredible. Expensive part is the drawings. So basically you're saying if anyone's, if anyone needs any drawings, <laughs> they know where to find you. <laughs> oh, well, I, I tried to stay out of that business. I got out of that business, uh, I guess when I was about 50 and uh, became a full-time piano player. I've been playing piano pretty much full-time since I was 50. So can we wind back a wee bit? Yeah. Well, I did want to finish a comment on musical styles because yes. the, the or genres, I guess, was the topic. And I think the, the uh, guys who play metal, and I've actually sold more pitch pilots in Norway and Sweden <laughs> than any other place, the home of death metal, because this thing, put one of these on your low E, and dive bombing seven semitones is unbelievable. And if you're if you're you you've got just an open E chord and you take that low E and go boom, and it goes right to the B. Man, it, there's nothing like it. It is truly a new, unique sound. I would say if they want to play, have one on the B string, they might get some country sounds out of it. 
but I put uh, one on the B and one on the G and get an amazing chorus effect for chording. So I I, I don't think it's uh, limited to genres. I'm not a jazz player, but I when I play it, I can come up with some pretty jazzy things. And one of the other things it does better than I've ever heard a guitar do is human voice kind of patterns. Because it lets suddenly you have a range of 10 semitones like a violin does, right? There's, uh, you know, it's, there's no stops, right? One of the real advantages of Pitch Pilot in the future, I think, is my opinion anyway, the, the world of guitars synthesizers has never taken off because, sure, you can make your guitar sound like a, a, a violin sound through synthesis, but you can't do the voicings the, that a violin can do. And so now all of a sudden you've got a little handle that gives you a range of 10, up to 10 semitones. And you're actually able to do a lot of trombone sounds or violin sounds where you want that straight, straight note uh, up and down without, without the frets. And so I think uh, I rented a, a guitar synth a while, a while back and I was blown away by how I could make some of these sitar was absolutely amazing with a pitch pilot because you know those little quarter note got it and and it it just does it beautifully so i don't even know what the range uh the limitations might be but i don't think there are going to be any i mean it's ideal for doing country on the b string but i know uh i just about flipped when i hit that low e and went down seven semitones that was the pitch <laughs> in Pitch Pilot. But I yeah. wanted to go back to R&D. Right. Because you said this was about five years ago that you came up with this. Is that is that right? Right. Yeah. So what actually influenced you in your development? Well, that, that's actually a great question because my initial invention, um, I was building them on, on my own bench and I was using sort of blocks of brass for basses and platforms to attach handles. And then the only spring I had was sort of between these two things. And it was actually a lot more complicated structurally. And then I, uh, the first time I went to a spring maker, I realized the whole thing can be one piece, the whole pitch by the other than the handle, because you want to be able to take the handle off. And I realized the whole structure could be one piece of bent metal. And the again, the Gibson one is quite simple. Uh, I get a tremendous a number of comments that people say, "Hey, I could build this on my own workbench. It's there's nothing to it." And of course, a great number of people have said to me, "I invented this five years ago." <laughs> and go, well, I went and got the patent, so sorry. But you get that with anything. The Fender model is very complicated from the point of view of, of the engineering, and there's a very interesting thing. That it's the first time in, I believe, in the history of guitar that, and I've got a patent on this, I've invented what is called the overhead bridge, where normally on a guitar, you know, you've got your, your body of guitar and your bridge is, is, you know, elevated from that. Your strings attached to the body and they go over the bridge down the neck. Well, when I was working on the Fender design, I realized I can't, there's no room to go down you know, the strings are already a co- less than a quarter inch from the body. I can't do that. So my structure, uh, my design, 
I invented a bridge that the strings actually pass under and then they go up. So now there's room to do something with it, such as put it on a spring and a handle. But the first thing was to invent the overhead bridge. And it's the first time anyone has ever had a, a, a guitar where the strings passed under the bridge. Tim, were you applying for these patents as your research and development process went forward, as you saw right. new things appearing? Yeah, in fact, I originally had patents on the earlier, more mechanical uh, designs. And then when I realized I can do it all with one, uh, with one uh, piece of metal, I had to go back and redo all my patents. Are you able to tell us what the, the different patents are, or is that... It's a trade secret. You know, I can't describe too much about uh, the Fender because it's it's not out yet. Patents are only, they say that patents are only as good as your ability to defend them. People come after you and they want to steal your design. They may just change a little bit of it or or whatever and you're pooched, right? And that's where, you know, if you've got deep pockets, you can defend them and take get lawyers and everything. And that's where a lot of uh, companies will come in and just take something because they know the person can't defend it. So that's that's always a big chance. So security and secrecy, as long as you can keep it secret, are super important because once it's out, uh, once it's out on the market, you've got a better legal claim to this is, you know, this is our invention and, and so forth. So you do try and keep things pretty secret right up to the minute that, that it's launched. Understood. Now, fast forward and you started a Kickstarter campaign, which you're almost in the middle of. Right. I'm not sure if it's going to work. We're just trying to raise some of the money, the production money to put the Fender in production. And uh, we can do it without it. It's a case of, of having uh, enough capital to do all the elements at the same time and, re and have the packaging and all that stuff. When we first released the Gibson, we didn't have the packaging. We were sending out in, in envelopes, basically. And now we have the packaging for the Gibson. But I, ideally, our Kickstarter is going to fund, give us some extra funding so we can have a proper everything sort of done at once. Well, certainly, I'll certainly be putting that up on the GMI website. Thank you very much. To get the message out there. I have a couple of questions about yeah. Pitch Pilot. The first one, and this might be a completely idiotic thing to ask, why didn't you just create something that attached and could tune all affect all the strings one at a time as opposed to each individual string? Well, I guess um, that's an excellent question, which I've never, ever thought of. Uh, but that's that's why you you are you. I don't I don't know. Um, I guess I wanted something initially that was uh, my first goal was to make it tiny. Interestingly, the I've got one here. The, the pitch pilot for Fender, it's, it's the same size as a Fender saddle. And I'm not sure if you're familiar, but on a Fender, you've got there's six individual saddles. This is one of them here. That's a, a Fender saddle. And this is the pitch pilot. And you can see they're the same size. And the only, only difference is the, the, at the back, the pitch pilot goes around and uh, one more loop and has room for your handle. And the string passes under the bridge at the front as opposed to going over the one on the, uh, the fender. So this is about as innocuous to your guitar. It's, you know, very subtle. You'd have to look twice to even see you had one on your guitar. And that was, I think, I think that's a very cool thing. 
I think if I had a, a large unit that had the six individual controls, then you're probably looking at it having to be a $300 item or something. And my goal was to put this in the hands of 17-year-olds because <laughs> that's always the future of, of music is in the hands of you know 15-year-olds and 17-year-olds. So I wanted it to be as inexpensive as possible to so that a kid going into a music store on a Sunday afternoon, his mum's giving him a bit of money and he can he can get one of these as a that kind of brings me to my next question and and it's yeah. you know it's it's uh, there's no easy way to, to put this. Yeah. It seems expensive. Now I'm not saying it's not worth it, but right. it's trying to convince people out there that this is worth it. And how much I, would one pitch pilot cost me because you can i can get two for 120 dollars which is roughly probably 95 pounds and around 96 euros that's a lot right. of money for an optional extra well on on that subject i'm i'm the one in the company who is trying to push for the price being lower and what's amazing is how much i mean people say oh it looks so simple and it is but there's actually the a lot of the cost is the metallurgic treatments to make it last, because if you don't, you could take your average spring and you're going to you know, put it in there, but it's going to break. And so we we have a process that we that we're doing on these, which is really expensive to make them last. We've done cycle tests of three hundred thousand uh, reps and they don't break. Surely and you want we, to make them that they do break, Tim. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, planned obsolescence. The number went from about 40,000 reps to 300,000 because we added some metallurgical treatments, and they're very expensive. I'm pushing for the price to be lowered. What would the ideal price for, in your ideal world, Tim, what would you be selling these for? I'm probably going to get in trouble with the company for saying it, but like I say, my goal was that, any 17-year-old on a Saturday afternoon can say, hey, I want one of those and can afford it. We just had a meeting yesterday about prices, and I want the price to be a lot less than it is. It's tricky because obviously it costs a lot of money per unit. It's a fair amount of money to make. And obviously, we've got some shareholders we have to satisfy. And then you have to price your wholesale price because you want retailers to sell it. So then you're saying, okay, out of that money, the 90 pounds, say it is, we're only going to see 45 of it. And how much of that 45, all the costs are out of our 45. And it's not a lot. Are these being manufactured in Canada or, or China? Uh, no, uh, we decided right from the start, we weren't going to go with you know, another country. And they're made in Canada. All of our parts, like the, the thread, the Allen keys and so, or the Allen uh, screws and so forth are sourced in the United States, American made parts. So we wanted to keep it with North America as obviously there's a lot of uh, isolationism going on in the world these days. And it's, it's good. I think if you're if, to make, a, if you're an inventor, make the product in your country, uh, you've got your neighbors, they're helping you with it in many, many ways. And the people I've met, the the spring company, their company uh, called Newcomb Spring, those guys have been just fantastic to us and, and helped us with the prototyping stage. And they're just awesome. I, I'm working on the pricing thing. And it's like when Henry Ford came out with the the Model T a year and a half later, dropped the price to one third of what it was. That's my goal as it gets more cost efficient for us to manufacture and our costs 
goes down to drop the price as fast as we can. I think it's great that you are getting it made in your own country. You know, in Scotland, try, well, I certainly do, and I know lots of people do, try to target Scottish goods because we now live in a world where we can buy locally, hopefully things that are made locally, and yep. that we can sell worldwide. That's right. That really is the way of the future, I think. Source locally, create locally, sell globally. That's what we're kind of hoping to do. I'm as, as astonished as, any, as anybody that our sales are uh, Sweden and Norway is uh, our biggest sales. Well, the States, but uh, those two are actually in the lead if you add them together. I'm fascinated. One of the trickiest things with any new product, and especially in the case of our product, Pitch Pilot, is, and it, it really is myself, my brother, and a couple other people who've been helping us. And we don't have a budget that's going to let us do market research and so forth. And one of the trickiest things, I think, when you're releasing a product is where do you draw the line in terms of the form factor? What's this thing going to look like? What is the functionality? All those things, you got to draw a line in the sand and go, okay, we have to release it because we can't keep playing with it forever. So my goal has been the idea, okay, we've released it and we want to get feedback from users about the merits and and the the problems. One of the first things that we uh, encountered when we first released it was people were concerned about palm muting, being able to palm your bridge with the pitch pilot in place. And we at that time had a handle that went forward and had a back part of it. And uh, you could turn the handle sideways, but it didn't really get it out of the way because of that backward facing handle. So I went back, I basically have a bag a bag of those double handles that I'm that are going to go to scrap metal eventually based on users feedback and this was only, you know, in the first couple months of release I realized that people are that's going to be the biggest objection this palm muting issue. I went back and redesigned the handle so that it turns completely out of the way and it's no longer in your way when you want to palm mute. Now, I don't think there's an inventor in the world who who wants to stop working on the design, right? And you get ideas from users and you have your own ideas. And I think, I mean, I'm still, the Fender design hasn't, uh, it's not in production yet, so I can play with it right up until the last minute. And I certainly will, because you never stop improving. And I'm sure that every company that releases a product, the day it releases, they're going, okay, let's start thinking about version two. Yeah, that's like we had Kloss guitars on recently, carbon fiber travel guitars. Right, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you're uh, familiar I with saw them. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's exactly what they were saying. One thing that sort of occurs to me, Tim, because it, it would be fair to say that from what I've seen on the internet, it's been a mixed response to yep. Pitch Pilot. And uh, I mean, some people are just negative no matter what. Some people put up reasonable objections to this, that, and the next thing. For me, the biggest problem with it is the price. If it was much cheaper, that might not be possible. It would be a yep. no-brainer. But what about, I have a guitar made right. by an incredibly talented luther in southern germany called frank crocker the right. the name of the guitars frameworks guitars and i the first time the first time i actually met frank was at the music mice in frankfurt and he had just successfully defended an action against a major guitar manufacturer from ripping his product off and i always felt at the time 
Frank, this is a Pyrrhic victory. Why don't you license it out to them? Because they're just going to come back and do it anyway. And of course, they have. Now, that yes. doesn't negate Frank's artistry and his own equipment and instruments, but have you ever thought about licensing this idea out to a major guitar manufacturer? I, I think so. That would be one of my ideals. There's a, another Canadian company, Graftech, and I have in my mind uh, the idea that I'm going to get together. I've talked to him, uh, the, the owner, a couple of times, Dave Dunwoody, about the idea of possibly making pitch pilots out of his graph tech material. Very interesting uh, kind of plastic he has developed. I'd like to talk to him about possibilities of licensing. Yeah, and, and even incorporating some graph tech product into some of the designs because uh, it's amazingly slippery stuff. And anytime you're doing anything with, with a guitar string going over a bridge, uh, friction is the enemy, right? Yeah, I think there's some possibilities in that. I really would like to see uh, the Fender product license. Uh, there's many, many, many manufacturers who use that similar kind of setup. It definitely is a goal of ours to try and get some license deals going. What, what you need is to get some pitch pilots in the hands of some really big bands or just yes. about record some new some new stuff and to get people seeing that being used. Yeah, and it is really um, one of those things where you you do want it to go viral. You know, the number of buyers we have, we've we've literally we're just beginning. It's just starting to sell at all. I think everybody who's ever played it has gone. This is amazing. We we have nobody's called written back to us and said they want their money back or they we've got great comments feedback from people who've bought them but it really is a case of you got to get them to try it and i agree with you i think the price point i feel is a little high as the inventor i don't always get to make those decisions but that's the, the thing that i'm pressuring for because i want it to be a spontaneous purchase not a purchase someone has to really think about too much. And I think a good price point makes that possible. Will there be spin-offs from Pitch Pilot? Do you have other ideas around this or is it would it be something completely different? Absolutely. We have uh, the Fender model we're developing is for Stratocasters and Telecasters. But we've also got a design ready to go. It's got the, most of the patent is ready for it for use on the three-barrel uh, Telecaster, the old style. I've also got a bracket that's been adapted to put pitch pilots on melody makers, the ones that use the sing the wraparound bridge. There's some great potential there because of of lap uh, lap steel guitars. A lot of them use that wraparound Gibson style wraparound bridge. Well, I'm in the middle of developing a pitch pilot that has a stop on it, uh, the, that two two semitone stop for guys with pedals with lap steels to do some of those pedal sounds. And lastly, well, not lastly, there's two other projects that are they're in the works. Uh, one is Pitch Pilot for bass guitar, which I know it's going to be a hell of a spring, but it's, uh, it's, it's doable. I have a prototype. It works. Um, you can hold your finger in one spot and play, uh, hold your fretting finger in one spot and play Walk on the Wild Side. Boom, boom, I have a feeling that could be much more popular. Yeah, it's it's definitely got potential. And the last one is probably the trickiest is Pitch Pilot for acoustic guitar. And I've had a prototype working. The problem with the acoustic guitars, there are so many bridge designs. You know, whereas Gibson, you can go, well, there's a billion guitars with that design. 
uh, tailpiece bridge setup and the Fender, the same thing. There's millions of guitars that use that setup. But when you get into acoustic guitars, gee, they're different between models and the same manufacturer. So it's that's a real trick. And someday, I don't know, I've, I've sat down with pieces of paper and tried to figure this out about putting a pitch pilot on a big speed. And I'm not convinced it's impossible, but I think it's going to be pretty darn hard. <laughs> well, it's been fascinating hearing this. It's been quite a technical interview at times, uh, but I don't think that's such a bad thing. I, I'm fascinated by it. Now, I just wanted to ask your musical. Is there anyone else in the family who is musical? Absolutely. My daughter uh, uh, has a new album coming out. I thought she was going to oh, bring really? one in me to, to show. Uh, she's a performance artist. Uh, her name is Paige Cora. If you go on pagecora.com, you'll find her uh, her info and so forth. And she's a pretty uh, pretty great artist, singer songwriter, and she has a terrific band. Her band is uh, a bass and and drums and cello and uh, trombone and and very very interesting instruments. And she's a terrific songwriter. Any guitarists in there? Oh yeah, there is a guitar player. I should mention yeah, she has a guitar player. Well, I hope he's using Pitch Pilot. Uh, I don't know actually. Maybe not yet. Come on, Tim, you've got to get you've got to get him with it. I just gave her a box of them to give away, so hopefully she'll do that, and uh, that'll happen. Perhaps we could run a competition on GMI for some Pitch Pilots. What do you think? Sure, sure. I'd I'd love to do that. I just sent you a, an email this morning about sending you some product. So, so uh, we'll, maybe when we go off air, we'll discuss the potential of, of doing that and we could get people okay. to actually get Pitch Pilot in their hands, their sweaty little hands. Is there anything else you would like to tell us about it? How long till the, the Kickstarter campaign runs out? How long have people got? I think that runs down in about four weeks. Hopefully it makes it. That'd be great if it did. It would be very helpful for me to have a little more capital to work with. I, I think the most interesting thing about Pitch Pilot is that there are very, very few instrument effects, if you will, that actually modify the physical string. I believe that the reason guitar has always been so popular is because of the direct connection of your fingers to what's making the music. Now, a piano player hits his piano key, and there are something like nine different mechanical actions that happen before the string gets hit. But with guitar, you're touching the strings, you're making the noise. And so, unlike an electronic effect that, that's going to do something, it's really doing it after the string. And so, Pitch Pilot is the first thing, first device in a long, long time that actually physically changes the string. And I think that's pretty significant. And I think that's why there's a big future in it. And I'm really hoping that my users give me as much info about the product, of what they like about it and what they dislike, because otherwise I'm working in a vacuum. I don't want to work in a vacuum. I want to get people's in, people involved and I want to get, hear their ideas and, uh, and improve the product together. That'd be my goal, that it was almost designed by all the guitar players. Well, certainly in today's world, there's never been a better time for the evolution of great ideas. Well, Tim, it's been fantastic speaking with you. I, I just keep, uh, the, the, the viewers can't see you, but I can see and I imagine you in that log cabin with 18 feet of snow around you in the winter working away. It's fantastic to speak to you. And when we go offline, I want to discuss this potential competition through GMI. But sure. for now... All the best with Pitch Pilot. It's a case of watch this space. Well, thank you very much, Jed. Yes, watch the space. It's going to be a very exciting year. 
We're going to have a whole bunch of new things. And, and like I say, through uh, shows like yours, uh, we can involve guitar players and get their ideas. I was amazed on Facebook how much hate mail I got. But uh, you got to smile through it and say, well, you know, uh, I'll take the good and the bad. And uh, it's it's just been an amazing adventure just getting to the point where the product was released. And uh, I'm just looking forward to the future of it and getting one into a bunch of 17-year-olds' hands. Tim, thanks very much. Thanks, Jed. Appreciate it. Okay, well, it's time to wrap up another show. How did you find that? I found it interesting as always, but then I picked the guests, so I would say that. Hopefully you get a flavour of just how hard it can be to invent and bring something to the market. If you're listening to this episode in May 2018, please consider going over to Kickstarter and supporting Pitch Pilot on there. Their campaign runs for about another 15 days, so I'm sure Tim would really love your support. As always, come on over to Guitar Music Institute, that's GMI at www.guitarmusicinstitute.com. We're always adding new content for guitarists around the world, so all that needs to be said now from me, Jed Brocky, is thanks for listening. Until the next time, bye for now. Mm-hmm.